Good morning, Real Life Church. Stuart Crane here. Good to have you with us this morning. I hope you guys are doing well. Uh, this is our 15th Sunday of lockdown. Who thought it was going to last quite as long as this? But here we are, what we find ourselves. I hope you are keeping well. This week we had our Church of Prayer online, which was just a fantastic time. If you were there, there are about 50 of us, over 50 of us, who joined together as we worship. Matt and Phil and the band did a great job leading us. And then we prayed into a bunch of things. We had our breakout rooms where we got to pray into in small groups. Uh, I got to pray with uh, I think David and Joyce and Joe and Anna and Sarah High and uh, Mac Nixon and uh, his interpreter Sue uh, who was signing uh, and it was a fantastic time. If you weren't there you missed out um, please come and join us on the next one in a few weeks' time. What we're going to do today is we're getting back into our series on the Apostles' Creed. I believe I think this is our seventh part. We're over halfway. We've only got a few more bits to go to cover this. Um, and if you've missed out, please catch up. Uh, they're all online, all the sermons. You can kind of get them, get up to date with where we are. Uh, the Apostles' Creed is the third part in our discipleship series. So we've done uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, we've done the Lord's Prayer and now we're on the Apostles' Creed and the three of these kind of things form a basic sort of discipleship sort of uh, material for us, uh, which is great. Now the Apostles' Creed, um, it's probably best to describe it with the sun and the moon illustration. The, the Bible is our sun. It has all the heat, it has all the light. Uh, the Apostles' Creed is like the moon, which reflects the light. And the Apostles' Creed is an ancient statement of faith. Creed literally just means uh, belief um, that was, that's been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It's one of the earliest statements of faith that came around uh, from the early church. And it was used as a confession uh, for candidates who were going for baptism. And then they got baptized, they would state this out. And it basically sums up the basic teachings of the Christian faith, which is why we're looking at it now. And what we're looking at them is by going through these teachings, we're looking at things that we can be certain of in uncertain times uh, that we find ourselves in now. And so we've been going through it uh, bit by bit um, and we find ourselves now uh, on the seventh part of this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read uh, the Creed to you over here and then we're going to look at our next section for it. So it says this, the Apostles' Creed. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Now we've been going through this and uh, if you remember the breakdown of the creed, it begins uh, with the first person of the Trinity, the Father, and it says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And then there is a long second section about Jesus, the second member of the Trinity. And we've looked at um, him as God the Son. We've looked at him as the virgin birth. Jeremy did that. We've looked at the cross, which Matt did last week. I looked to the resurrection where he died and rose again. And today we have the final part of the Jesus section of the Apostles' Creed, where it says, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. So that's what we're gonna do. So we're rounding out today the section on Jesus, which is the largest single section of the Creed. And then next week we'll be going on to, or next time we'll be going on to, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So. This bit of the creed actually has kind of three directions I want to look at. It looks backwards, 
into the past it looks now into the present and it looks into the future so that's what we're going to get into now the first part it says um, uh, he ascended into heaven so this is a looking back thing as we look back to what's gone in the past and it's looking at the ascension of Jesus now the ascension of Jesus took place 40 days after the resurrection so we have the cross Good Friday we have Easter Sunday where Jesus rose from the dead, the resurrection. And then 40 days after that, we have the ascension of Jesus. Now, in between his resurrection and the ascension, we have all the uh, resurrection appearances you read about in our Gospels when he appeared to various people at various times. And then we have the ascension. The ascension appears in Mark's Gospel at the extended part at the end. It also appears at the end of Luke's Gospel and also at the beginning of Acts. So Luke, who's the writer of Luke and Acts, actually puts it in twice. And this isn't something, the ascension isn't something that we deal a lot with our church, in churches in general. It kind of, we focus on the cross, we focus on the resurrection, and the ascension is more just implied rather than explicitly talked about. And today we're gonna to look at that and what that means for us now. And so it says he ascended into heaven he ascended so what does that mean well if we look at uh, the scriptures it's kind of got an obvious meaning and then a much bigger more profound meaning which isn't quite so obvious it says in uh, acts uh, 1 9 it says um that while he was there jesus it says he was blessing then it said he left them and he was taken up into heaven uh, it says um uh, also that uh, he was taken before their eyes and the crowd cloud lifted him up one in Luke one in Acts there and so there is an obvious meaning for his ascension is that Jesus literally went up they were watching him and he was taken up from their sight and it said a cloud hid them so that is the literal obvious meaning when someone ascends they go up you ascend a mountain by climbing it um, but the dig bigger bigger deeper meaning is that when Jesus ascended he was going to a place of glory think about um, when someone becomes a king or a queen it said that the words we use is they ascend to the throne and there might be a literal meaning they have to go up a few steps sit on the throne but actually the bigger deeper meaning is they're going to a place of honor uh, and glory and respect uh, and that is what Jesus was doing when he ascended into heaven he was returning to the father where he had dwelt before the incarnation that we looked at in the virgin birth actually Jesus had been there with the father he came to earth and now he has ascended he is returning there and Jesus when he came uh, to the earth of Bethlehem and we have the birth he came in humility and he came in obscurity. When he returned to the Father in heaven, he returned in triumph and honor and glory, kind of the opposite from where he ends. So the ascension doesn't just imply him going up, it actually implies that he has been exalted. He is going to a place of supreme dignity and honor. So we have the humiliation of the cross, we have the vindication of the resurrection, and then finally we have the exaltation of the ascension. And it says he ascended into heaven. And so what he was doing, he was, he was returning to God the Father. He was going to a place of honor and glory and power. He was going back to kind of where he'd come from and leaving his disciples behind in the process and returning to the Father. Now, this has implications for us as believers and the Bible spells some of these out for us. And so when Jesus returned um, to heaven, it didn't mean we as his followers the followers there at the time were left alone because because Jesus ascended we now have the Holy Spirit because Jesus told his disciples in the gospel is John he says but when I go I will send to you another the helper which is just a phrase for the Holy Spirit and when I go I will send him to you and then we read in the book of Acts they have the day of Pentecost where they're praying 
and the Holy Spirit is poured out of them. And then Peter preaches saying this is the fulfillment of prophecy where the Spirit is poured out on all of us. And so when Jesus goes, it doesn't mean he is absent from the earth, but he is now present with us by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus even said to his followers, that's actually better. It's better that I go because you just have me here, one person kind of confined by his humanity. And he says, but actually when I go, the Holy Spirit will be poured out and it'll be on all of you. And so as Jesus ascends into heaven and he sits uh, at that place of glory, he sends the Holy Spirit for all of us, which is fantastic. The other thing the ascension of Jesus into heaven implies for us is that we are now to worship Jesus. We are to worship him. We are to give him the glory and honor that he deserves. It says in uh, Luke 24, it says that when he was carried up into heaven, uh, it says that the disciples, those who were there, they worshiped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They worshipped him. So the fact that Jesus has now been exalted to that place, he has now returned to the Father in heaven, he is now the object of our worship. And as a church, as believers, as a follower of Jesus, we give him the, the praise and the honour that is due him for all that he has done and for all that he is. Um, and it's funny to think about, actually, when Jesus returned to heaven, he returned not in quite the way he came, he returned as a man. And so when we worship Jesus in heaven, we don't just worship him as God, we also worship him as man as well, because he is fully God and fully man. And so the one who is in heaven now in glory is actually the risen Jesus in his glorified, resurrected body, both fully God and fully man. And that is the one that we worship in heaven. And this is also something that we need to take on board as believers, actually, because this is a type we will follow. Jesus' ascension uh, paves the way for us one day to go and be in heaven and, and enjoy that itself. His resurrection is a type that follows, so there's that resurrection body that we will get. This old body we have now is frail, it's wasting away, ultimately one day it will die. Um, and then, but then we'll be raised to new life with a new resurrection body and we will also ascend one day and be in the new heavens and the new earth with Jesus forever. And so Jesus' ascension paves the way for us and it secures the way that we too will dwell with him for eternity, which is fantastic. So as we look back and we look back at the ascension, we've got all those things that we can take from that. Now, if we look to the now, the presence, he goes on to say that he has ascended to heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. So this addresses what Jesus is doing right now in heaven. And it's got it starts by saying he's seated. Now seated implies uh, a settled and a secure position. So whatever Jesus is doing now, he's settled and secure him. Then it has this interesting phrase at the right hand of God. Now what does that mean? Well, several things it means. The first one, it is a place of supreme honor. It is a place, the right hand of God is a place of supreme honor. Now, if you read your Bible, you read your New Testament, you'll find that in the New Testament, the Old Testament is quoted. And we find bits of Old Testament scripture brought out in the New Testament and they're applied to Jesus and, and the situations there. The bit of the Old Testament that is quoted the most in the New Testament is actually Psalm 110. And if you read Psalm 110, it begins like this. It says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. For your feet and what this is doing is is applied to Jesus in his ascension and his exalted position at the right hand of God as a place of supreme honor and if you read that psalm that's kind of where it's going there and this is confirmed in Hebrews 1 where it talks about this unique position of the son we actually preached through Hebrews several years back you can go and kind of catch that stuff up and this is a place that are reserved for Jesus only no one else 
or have this place, no one ever will, no one ever has. It is Jesus' place, not even the angels, not even such great spiritual beings will get there. It's only for Jesus, God the Son. And so the right hand of God is a place of supreme honour. The next thing, the right hand of God is a place of supreme authority. A, supreme, a place of supreme authority. Jesus has been exalted. He is now king, ruling and reigning. And so when we think of him sitting at the right hand of God, it's like he's sitting on a throne. And he is the one who is in charge of everything. He is the one who's in control of the universe. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He is the supreme authority over everything. And so maybe when you picture what it's like, that's what it's like. A heavenly throne. And Jesus is sitting on there with all authority, all dignity and all honour. But as well as that, we can think of a throne, we can think of it in heaven, we can think of it aloof, above, separate from us. But actually the Bible says it's also a place of intercession. It's a place of intercession where Jesus is on that throne, but he is interceding on behalf of his people. It says in Romans um, 8.34, it says that he has been raised to the right hand of God and there he intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. So when we think about Jesus on the throne, ascending to the heaven, he is not separate from us in the sense of he's forgotten us, we've been left behind, we're down here, he's up there. No, he's up there interceding for us and he's present with us now by his Holy Spirit but he is the one who's been through all the things that we've been through knows what it's like he is that uh, fully man element of him that knows what it's like to suffer and be in pain and he is there interceding for us before the Father bringing our requests our prayers for him which is a great comfort for us as a believer and the final thing it means for Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father is something that we actually share as believers we actually in one sense are sitting with him in that place of honor if you are a believer in Jesus you have that great privilege it says in Ephesians uh, 2 verse 6 that we have been raised up with Christ and are seated with him in the heavenly realms and so there's that kind of well done but we're here down here but because of our union with him because we've uh, been raised to life with him the holy spirit's in us we actually join in that position um and this is not very clear this is not because we're good or we're special or we've done anything to earn it he's good he's special he's done everything to earn it and but we have been joined with him by faith we we are kind of experiencing that for what he's won with us uh, on the cross and the resurrection but we too get to join in that place and we get to kind of be in that and that is a a kind of a foretaste of what is to come when we get to be with him forever so Jesus is now ruling and reigning in authority and power over all things um, and now we look forward to the future so we've seen he's ascended into heaven he's now seated at the right hand of the father but then it adds on the end the creed says he will come again to judge the living and the dead so we look to the future it begins it says he will come again and this is a promise um, we find this in the book of Acts uh, Acts 1 where it says this Jesus was taken up into heaven and it says the angels appeared to the disciples those who were there and he basically says this same Jesus that was taken up into heaven he will come back the same way you saw him go He's coming back and we find um, that we live in this time between uh, Bethlehem when he came. We have his uh, life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And then we have this age uh, that we now live in between his first coming and we are waiting for his second coming. And so what it is, he will come again. There is a, a fact about that. There is a promise. There is a certainty. It's merely a matter of time. The first time he came in humility, he came in 
obscurity. He came in poverty. When he returns, he will come in power and he'll come in authority and he will come in majesty and he will come in splendor. And so we live in the light of that. We live in waiting in expectation that he will come again. Jesus has gone. He is currently ruling and reigning, seated at the right hand of the Father, but he will return one day. And it says when he return, it sums up very succinctly. It just says he will judge the living and the dead. He will judge the living and the dead. So what this means is when Jesus returns, he will, there will be a full establishment of God's rule and reign. When Jesus came, he proclaimed the kingdom of God. He said, it's here, it's at hand, it's come. And we are waiting for the full kind of, for outworking of that. The victory has been run on the cross and the resurrection. We see that and we see God's kingdom breaking in again and again and again. But we are waiting for the full kind of complete that. And when Jesus comes, that's what's going to happen. He will establish his reign. He will bring heavenly justice and he will quite literally put the world to rights. He will put the right. All his enemies of sin and sickness and suffering uh, and, and the devil will be defeated and done away with. And all that we see on the news of injustice and pain and all that we experience in our lives will be done away with. And Jesus will judge, which means he will separate. He will separate what is good from what is evil. And good, what is good will be rewarded and what is evil will be punished. And every injustice and every pain will be put right under King Jesus. And he has the authority to do this. because We've already seen that. He is Lord. He is the one ruling and reigning to do it. And this judgment he has is universal. Uh, the phrase that comes, he says, he will judge. And it says the living and the dead. And that's just a way of encompassing everything. It's just shorthand of saying that's everyone. Everyone will face judgment. All those who have lived, all those who are currently living, and all those who will live until his return will face judgment. Everyone will come under Jesus' judgment. Jesus' reign and authority is total, which means his judgment is also total. No one and no thing falls outside it. He will judge our attitudes. He will judge our actions. He will judge the things that we've said. And the things that we've done, the things that we've thought. He will also judge the things that we haven't said, we haven't done, that we should have done as well. Um, they call it they have the sins of commission, the things we've done, the things of omission, the things we should have done that we didn't do. All will be judged by Jesus. And the great news is he is a perfect judge. He will judge fairly and he will judge rightly. He is not um, swayed by public opinion or bias or prone to any of the things that we as humans are. He will do it completely fairly. All will be weighed by God's perfect standards. Um, the bad news for that is that under those God's perfect standards, we will all be found guilty. All mankind will be found guilty because we have all fallen short of God's glory. We have all failed. We all know that. We can't even live up to our own standards let alone God's standards. And we all know there are things in our hearts and attitudes and actions we have that are far from perfect. The Bible just calls it sin. And so we are all guilty. But as believers, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear in this situation because when Jesus comes back to judge the living and the dead, we know the penalty for our sin has already been paid. The penalty for our sin has already been paid. We have seen this earlier in the creed and some of the lines we've looked at. Uh, we know that because Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment for our sin, um, the things that we had done wrong, he paid it completely. And we are now saved by faith in that, by trusting in what Jesus has done, by putting, turning away from our own way of life and choosing to follow him. Jesus loved us. He paid the price for us. And so we, as believers, can actually look forward to that day when he returns. Because he knows when he returns, everything will be put right. Everything will be worked out. 
all God's purposes will come about, it will be good and right, and we know that we can look forward to being with him forever. And when the judge stands before us, we have an advocate in Christ who says, hey, I've paid the price, I've paid the price. Not guilty will be declared over our lives because of what he's done, not what he's done. What he's, um, what he, not, sorry, what he's done, what we've done, not what he's done. Did I get that right? Anyway, you can work that one out. But if you're not a believer here, this is important, you need to listen. If you're not a believer and you're watching this, it's great to have you with us, but actually you stand guilty before a holy God. Um, you know the things you've done in your heart that are wrong. We just know that. And you're probably even thinking about them now. And the reality is when Jesus comes back, he will judge you. Uh, whether you die in this life or you're alive when he returns, he will still you will still stand before judgment. That is what all of us will do. And so you have a decision to make. What are you going to do about this? And I sit here today and I beg you, I urge you, I please you to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Recognize who he is as God the Son. He is both fully man and fully God. Um, he came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross in your place uh, for your sins. He rose bodily from death. He ascended into heaven. He is seated now at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning over all creation. And he will return to judge the living and the dead, which includes you. And so I encourage you now to put your faith and trust in him. Turn from your sin recognize that cry out to him for mercy receive forgiveness and follow him uh, into new life um, as a christian now how does this mean how does this kind of wrap up for us what does it mean for us in our lockdown living um, at the moment well there's three things i just want to talk about as we finish um, the first one that i want us to take away is the, to remember that god is in control god is in control as we look back to the past, this has kind of got a past element to it. God has been in control and he always has been and he always will be. When we look at the world now and we wonder what's going on, what's happening, what's going to happen next, what decisions are going to make, are we going to have a second spike, are we going to have lockdown in this city like it's happened in Leicester, what's happening, who's in charge, what's going on? We can know and we can trust that Jesus is in charge. Jesus is ultimately in control. There is one seated on the throne who is running the universe in the face of COVID-19, in the face of economic downturn, in the face of school closures, job losses, uh, bereavement, uh, so much uncertainty. We can be certain of this, that he is in control, that Jesus is in control. He is ruling and reigning and everything that is taking place is ultimately will be serving God's purposes have a people for himself and at this time we can look to him we can turn to him we can trust him even when our current circumstances might say everything's out of control we can say jesus is in control when we are circumstances i don't know what's next i don't know what's going to happen next i don't know what's going to be provision for myself for my family for my children for my health whatever it is we can know that jesus is in control he never promised us an easy life he never promised that this will be easy in fact he said the opposite this is going to be tough this is going to be a hard road but i will be with you I will be with you every step of the way and we know he's present by his spirit and he is ruling and reigning in heaven. And so whatever you're facing right now, however you're feeling this morning, um, as you listen to this, remind yourself who is in control and what's going on. Lift your eyes above the circumstances. The way I do this, I find this most helpful is when I, I put some music on and I try and sing some worship songs. It's just a good way of just lifting my eyes off what's happening around us. I'm currently um, listening to uh, the Red Rocks one, Not Afraid, which Phil 
put out on one of our videos right at the beginning of lockdown. That's been brilliant to just keep listening to that. I put that on while I'm just clearing up. I also listened to the uh, the King of Kings, the Hillsongs one. I think we sang that at the prayer meeting. That's another cracking one to just remind yourself of the one of God and who's in charge of all these things. So I don't know what was on the playlist this morning, but have a listen to that. Turn it up, sing, get your eyes on Jesus. Remind that he, remind yourself he is in control. Second thing is to know that Jesus is present with us by his spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us. And this is something we can take right now in whatever situation you're finding. Because Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. Jesus kept his promise. He has sent a helper one to come alongside, the counsellor, the advocate, the one who is with us always. You are not alone. In fact, you are never alone. He knows you. He knows you completely. He is with you constantly. He is there to encourage. He is there to strengthen. He is there to lead. He is there to speak to us as we read the Bible, God's word. He will make that alive and use that to encourage us. He fills us. He helps us as we pray. He helps us as we kind of go through life and do all that we've got to do in work and family. He reminds us of truth as we go out into the world. And so I encourage you to daily, even now this moment, this moment as soon as this is open you can pause this now and just pray holy spirit god fill me with what you do and then just pour out your heart to him pour out your heart to him tell him what's going on in life um, he knows anyway but it's good practice for us to tell him tell him how you're feeling what you're uncertain about what you're not sure about what uh, what's going on in your life talk to him and know that he is present with you he is listening to you he is there by your spirit um, this sunday next sunday we have our Sunday night live where we're going to do in the Sunday evening. There won't be a sermon like this on the Sunday morning. We're going to gather together in the evening. Please be there. Join us because we're going to we're going to have some time of worship. Uh, Mel's going to speak, do a short word live there to you. And then we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and do his work with us. Now, how that's going to work when we're all in different rooms, um, I don't know. But God is bigger than us. He's everywhere. He's with us. I'm sure he can work it out. But we'll have moments of that. So please make a point of being there. Um, and we will see what God wants to do with us. Last thing. We have a certain hope for the future. We have a certain hope for the future. So we know God's in control from the past. We know the Holy Spirit's with us right now. But as we look to the future, we have a certain hope. The fact that Jesus ascended into heaven means he will come back again. Because he's gone and he promised that he will come back. When we look to the cross, the resurrection and the extinction, we can then look forward to a day where he will one day, he will return to us and we will be with him forever. There'll be no more crying and there'll be no more suffering and there'll be no more tears because that old order has passed away. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but when we uh, the Bible talks about Jesus coming again and what that's going to be like, so the primary metaphor, the primary image that is used to kind of put that into something we can grapple and understand is a wedding banquet is a wedding banquet where um, in the Jewish customs at the time what would happen is that the bride would get ready for her husband get ready for the groom to come to them and the bride would be waiting uh, for the groom to return and then the groom would come and get his bride which is kind of opposite to how we do it we just have the groom waiting at the front and the bride comes down the aisle which is different but what they did was the bride would wait and then the groom would come. The groom would come, there would be a marriage, they would get formally married, there would be the wedding night where the marriage would be consummated and then there would be a week-long, sometimes a week-long um, time of celebration. And one uh, 
book I read, one commentator described it as a time of feasting and family and festivity and fellowship. And it was just a massive long time of celebration and enjoying uh, the marriage, the fact these two people got married and it was with friends and family and it was a fantastic time. And that is just an incredible picture for us to look forward to that actually we are the bride, the bride of Christ, the church, and we are waiting we are waiting for the groom. We are waiting for Jesus to come back. And when he comes back, there will be that joining together. We will be with him forever. And then there will be a time of celebration, an eternal time of celebration where we enjoy him forever. And there will be feasting and fellowship and family and it will be wonderful. And that is what we get to look forward to. And so in this time of uncertainty, when things we're just like, what's going on? What's happening? Uh, we can look forward to that. That is going uh, to come. We are going to be a part of that. It is something to fortify us at this time. But that also has some implications for us right here and now. And uh, we need to just take those seriously as well. So as we look forward to what's going to come, as we know we have the Holy Spirit present with us now, and we know God is in control, there's a, three things that we need to do. We need to take our mission seriously. Jesus said, uh, Matthew 28, he said, all authority in heaven has been given to me. So there's that image of right sitting at the right hand of the Father. Then he immediately says, you go into all the world and tell them all about me. And that's the mission we're about now. So as we enjoy the fact that we have the Holy Spirit with us, we know God is in control and we look forward to a future that we can have we have a mission to do. We have a job to do right now. We have uh, a great news to tell as many people as we can and see them repent of their sins and come receive forgiveness and follow Jesus. And so that is what we're about, church. Even in this strange lockdown season we're in, let's go tell as many people as we can. Every opportunity, grab hold of it uh, to talk to others, talk to work colleagues, neighbours, friends, show them the love of Jesus practically, tell them the good news. The next thing is that we are called to endure and persevere. This time is tough, this time is hard, but we are told not to give up. We are told to not let our heads drop down, not let our hands get weak, but to keep going. Keep going in these difficult times. Keep going by the power and grace of God and being full of the Holy Spirit. Keep going because we have something to look forward to, something to pursue, something to go after. Keep running that race. Keep encouraging one another as well in this time. Keep encouraging. When you meet together, remind one another the truth. The Holy Spirit is with you, that God is in control, that we have a future to look forward to. We have a mission now that we're about. Keep encouraging one another. Do not give up the habit of meeting together. I know that this context Zoom is just not the best. It is absolutely not the best, but it's the best we have now. It's the best we have for this situation. So do not give up the habit of meeting. Stay connected with your life group. Go to the Zoom meetings. Everyone's bored of them. Everyone doesn't think they're perfect. Everyone is Zoomed out through all those things. But that is not an excuse not to meet together. Don't take the foolish action of opting out and separating yourself from your brothers and sisters in the church. Get connected. Be encouraged. Remind one another of these truths. So let's just to go back, we know that God is in control. He is in control of everything, all your situations, all that you're going through now. We know we, he is present with us now by his Holy Spirit and we have a wonderful future and hope to look forward to. Well, I think that's it for us this morning. I'd love you uh, to take a moment now uh, to kind of, 
think over those truths, pray, maybe put some worship stuff on. Uh, there's videos that are going to appear around me as well of other things that we're doing if you haven't caught up in them. But I want to say uh, I love you. We miss you so much and uh, look forward to being together one day soon.